All right, if you'll stand with me for scripture reading, as you do, I want to ask which of the seniors, uh, our wonderful seniors that we talked to, to find out where the rest of that uh, hidden candy has been stored. Maybe I'll find them after, after church. All right, so this morning we're going to read um, the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, as Pastor Bruce continues this series. Again, we're in, uh, in the book of Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 12, and you can find this in uh, Pew Bible on page 553. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. God, we just ask this morning that as your word is spoken, Lord, may you reveal uh, even deeper, Lord, your, uh, your call in our lives. And God, the, the rewards that you have laid out before us. Uh, we just pray that as we uh, hear uh, the teaching on meekness, God, that you would um, just break through our preconceived notions, God, and just reveal your truth and who you are to us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we continue in our series on the Beatitudes, as Kirk said, a series we've been calling Upside Down, I want us to begin with a, a little icebreaker, if you will. And, uh, and so here's the icebreaker. It's in your notes, coming up on the screen, and, and that is to finish this sentence. You can either write something down or just think of something in your mind. And the sentence to finish is this. The world belongs to those who are, and you fill in the blank. The world belongs to those who are. Yeah. From everything we see in our world, it certainly appears that the world belongs to those who are aggressive, to those who are assertive, those who are confident and dominant, to those who are powerful and persuasive, to those who are rich and ruthless. That is the history of humanity. If you want something, you go grab it. And then you try to hold on to it for as long as you can before somebody else grabs it from you. One thing is for sure. So far, the world does not belong to the compliant, to the passive, or the weak, the meek. The meek get stepped on and stepped over. Meek people simply do not get the privilege of running things in our world. They're the ones who get told what to do, and they do what they're told. And so when you hear a person described as, oh, he or she is so meek, you might be tempted to think, oh, I'm so sorry. But Jesus isn't sorry. Jesus turns our culture's view of the meek, and he does it upside down. 
when he declares in this third beatitude, blessed are the, the meek. Let's say it again. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now just imagine with me for a moment what the Jews thought when they heard this beatitude. Let me tell you, this was a, a shocking statement to Jesus' audience. It was absolutely foreign to their thinking, just as it's foreign to our thinking. After all, the Jewish people in Jesus' day had known oppression off and on for 1,500 years. First it was the Egyptians, and, and then it was the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians, and then the Persians, and now they were under Roman oppression. And they wanted their own land, and, and it certainly wasn't going to come through meekness, or so they thought. So they were hoping, they were expecting, they were anticipating that the Messiah would come and throw off the shackles of oppression and lead them in some type of military campaign against these ruthless Romans. But clearly, this is not what Jesus had in mind when he declared on that mountainside, blessed are the who? Meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Again, we, we hear this through our, our 21st century ears, and it, and it almost comes across as some kind of joke. The meek? Jesus, you mean the meek are inheriting the earth? Well, that's a, that's a good one, Jesus. Because it looks an awful lot like the politicians, the dictators, the CEOs, the Hollywood stars, the music stars, the sports stars all have first dibs on this world. And meekness isn't the word that comes to mind when you go over that list. And yet Jesus insists, blessed are the who? The meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I know it's upside down. It's radically out of step with our culture's thinking, even with what we usually think in our heart of hearts. But Jesus came to build a new kingdom where the meek are the ones who inherit the earth. And so what I want us to do this morning is to explore the strength of meekness by answering two questions. I want us to answer the Question, what is the meaning of meekness? And then I want us to explore the question, what is the blessing for meekness? So let's dive into it. Let's explore it. The first question, what is this meaning of meekness? How many of you have ever heard of the society called doormats? Well, believe it or not, it's an, an acronym for Dependent Order of Really Meek and Timid Souls. The story goes that a man named J. Upton Dixon joked that he was thinking about starting a society called Doormats. The society would adopt a yellow caution light as their logo, and their motto would be, the meek shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with everybody. Of course, Dixon's joke that the society didn't last very long when someone objected. Unfortunately, Dixon's humor is far too often the view many people have when it comes to meekness. And maybe that's because we really don't understand what meekness is, what it means. A dictionary search will render 
such definitions for meekness as easily imposed upon, overly submissive, spineless, spiritless, docile, and compliant. Another source lists the following phrases for meekness. To eat dirt, to cringe like a dog, to take it on the chin. And all this graphically illustrates the problem we have when we come to this third beatitude when Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Just try sticking some of those words and phrases in the third beatitude and see what you get. Blessed are the spineless, for they shall inherit the earth. Or how about blessed are those who cringe like a dog? Just doesn't sound right, does it? And that's because despite what most people think in Jesus' day, as well as in our day even now, meekness, get this, is not weakness. Meekness is not Weakness. Meekness is self-control based on God's control. The meek person is strong, but that person is under control based on God's control in their life. In Greek literature, the word meek was used for, for breaking in a horse, and so it carries the idea of this explosive energy that is under control. It's, it's bridled under control. A meek horse is not a weak horse, but rather a powerful animal that has been brought under its master's control. And so meekness, think of it as it is strength, it is power held in check by God. It's a byproduct of brokenness before God. And yet, as one author writes, Meekness does not denote cowardice or spinelessness or timidity or the willingness to have peace at any cost. Neither does meekness suggest indecisiveness, wishy-washiness, or a lack of confidence. Meekness does not imply shyness or withdrawn personality or contrasted with that of an extrovert. Nor can meekness be reduced to mere niceness. Meekness is strength. It is power, but that strength and power is under God's control. Perhaps the best way to understand meekness is to see it at work in people's lives. And so let me just for a few moments give you here two, two examples or two illustrations of meekness at work. And what we're going to look at is Moses and Jesus. In fact, Moses and Jesus are the best examples in all the Bible of meekness. Look what God says about Moses in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3. It says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Now I don't know what words you would use to describe Moses, but meek is not the first word that comes to my mind. After all, here is a man who in a fit of anger killed an Egyptian. And then he hid his body. And then later, this is the same man who stood up to the most powerful man in all the world at that time, Pharaoh, saying to Pharaoh, many times over, let my people go. Again and again, Moses summoned the courage to face the most powerful man in the world, eventually leading the children of Israel across the Dead Sea, and then leading them 40 years wandering in the wilderness. That certainly does not fit any of our modern stereotypes of meekness. And yet God still says that Moses was more meek than all the people on the face of the earth. Now it helps to know the context in which God makes this statement about Moses' meekness. 
here in Numbers chapter 12. So notice the first two verses here, verses 1 and 2. It says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Yes, God has spoken through them. But he, that did not give Aaron and Miriam, who was Moses' and Moses' brother and sister, the right to publicly criticize Moses' decision to marry a Cushite woman. And God heard their critical comments, the fact that it's not bode well for them. And so notice what happens next here in verse 4. It says, And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out! you three, to the tent of meeting. And so the three of them came out. And then what happens next, God tells Aaron and Miriam to step forward. And once they do, God rebukes them for speaking against his servant Moses. But God's not done. He, he has consequences now for Miriam. She will be stricken with leprosy since she seems to be the one who instigated the criticism against Moses. And suddenly, Aaron has a change of heart about Moses and begs him to pray for Miriam that she might be healed of her leprosy. Now, perhaps you're wondering, Bruce, what in the world does all this have to do with Moses and meekness? Let me tell you, it has everything to do with it. While all this is going on, What's Moses doing? Absolutely nothing. The first time, it's interesting in this story here in Numbers chapter 12, the first time Moses says anything is not till you get to verse 13, when Moses finally cries out, Oh God, please heal her. Please. It's at this point that we begin to see the meekness of Moses. You see, when attacked, when criticized, he didn't fight back. He didn't answer his critics. He didn't get angry. He didn't seek revenge. He didn't argue with his critics. He didn't try to explain his actions, justify his actions. He didn't even complain about what was happening to him. Instead, Moses kept silent and let the Lord take up his cause. He only opened his mouth to pray for his critic. And in this case, it was his sister, Miriam. Now, no one, no one would ever call Moses a pushover. No one would ever say Moses was part of the society of the doormats. Moses was normally a man of action. But here, he refused to defend himself. That's a picture of meekness. But make no mistake, oh, please do not mistake this, nobody is meek by nature. Meekness goes against all that we are by our very sinful natures. Meekness is not something that I can just muster up on my own. It requires supernatural help. And thank God that help is available in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so meekness is not a matter of, gra it's not a matter of genetics. Meekness is a matter of grace. God's grace at work in our lives which means meekness is a supernatural virtue that is produced by the Holy Spirit. 
We know this because later on in the New Testament, Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit, in which he lists out of the nine fruit of the Spirit, one of them is what? Meekness. There at the end, and by coincidence, or is it coincidence, guess where meekness is located next out of the nine fruit of the Spirit? Meekness, and then right after that comes what? Self-control. Interesting. So there's a picture of meekness in Moses. But what about Jesus? Since Jesus is God, he's the most powerful man who ever lived on the face of the earth. And yet his power was always under the control of his father. Jesus describes himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Speaking of Jesus, Matthew 21, 5 says, See, your king comes to you gentle or meek and riding on a donkey. As the incarnation of meekness, Jesus displayed it in two ways, both of which showed his great power under control. On the one hand, Jesus didn't stand up for his own rights when his disciples dis deserted him. He uttered no reproach back to them. When Peter denied him, he restored Peter back to fellowship and service. When Judas betrayed him, he called Judas friend, and he meant it sincerely. When Jesus was mocked, when he was spat upon by the soldiers, he did not retaliate. When Jesus was confronted by Pilate, he kept silent. Even while dying on the cross, Jesus made no threats against those who crucified him. In fact, he pleaded on their behalf to his heavenly Father in prayer. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. No wonder later on, Paul, the Apostle Paul, tells the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 10.1, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. At the same time, make no mistake, Jesus was no weakling. He was and is the Lion of Judah. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees' hardness of heart, calling them hypocrites, pronouncing judgment on them. Jesus was angered when his disciples tried to prevent little children from coming to him. Jesus made a whip and wrecked havoc on the money changers, driving them out of the temple. Jesus even called his disciple Peter Satan after he tried to impede him from his mission of the cross. You bring all this together. And what we have is an amazing picture of meekness. Jesus was bold concerning others and yet humble concerning himself. That's meekness. Not for a single moment did Jesus do anything for the purpose of personal self-defense as if he felt threatened by other people. Neither did he do anything to assume a position of superiority over his rivals or to even serve his own pride. Yet meekness does not mean avoiding conflict. You can be meek while correcting or rebuking someone for wrongdoing. Jesus was no indecisive pushover, nor did he have a spirit of compromise, but he was radically meek. So how then can we begin to apply the meekness of Moses and Jesus in our own lives? Well, I would suggest that we probably need to take two steps back at this moment, and we just need to ponder, we need to think about the progressive sequence of these Beatitudes. 
In other words, if you are meek, you are first a poor mourner. Here's what I mean by that. Notice this in your notes. Meekness applied. Number one, first of all, meekness is the relational counterpart to poverty of spirit in mourning over sin that expresses itself in response to other people. If you are poor in spirit, you understand your utter dependence on God and God alone. You understand how spiritually bankrupt you are before God. And so you now mourn over your sin that made you destitute before God. Meekness, therefore, is the supernatural result of such repentance of sin. Poverty of spirit makes you mourn your sin. And mourning your sin is what makes you meek. When we see ourselves now, when we see ourselves in this way, when we see ourselves in the light of who God is, we begin to understand our poverty of spirit and mourn. And when that self-assessment translates into our relationships with other people, you know what it looks like? Meekness. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones is right to emphasize that meekness denotes a humble and gentle attitude toward toward others, which is determined by a true estimate of ourselves. He points out that it is comparatively easy to be honest with ourselves before God and acknowledge ourselves to be sinners in His sight. But he goes on and he says this, but how much more difficult it is to allow other people to say things like that about me. I instinctively resent it. We all prefer to condemn ourselves than to allow someone else to condemn us. John Stott applies it this way. He says, I myself am quite happy to call myself a miserable sinner. It causes me no great problem. I can take it in my stride. But let somebody else come up to me and call me a miserable sinner, and I want to punch him on the nose. In other words, I am not prepared to allow other people to think or speak of me what I have just acknowledged before God that I am. There is a basic hypocrisy here. There always is when meekness is absent from our lives. But when meekness is present in our lives, it leads to two kinds of behavior in response to other people, which brings us to our second point. Meekness is the strength to refrain from defensiveness with other people. Now, again, we probably need to camp out here for just a few minutes on this point. All of us, including myself. And the reason being is one of the greatest tests of meekness that you will ever face is the way we react when others attack or criticize us. You may acknowledge your own poverty of spirit, you may even mourn over your own sin. But to respond to, with meekness when other people point out your weakness, well, that's a whole nother story. I see this in my own ability to handle self-criticism rather gracefully while I handle criticism from others very defensively. You see, this freedom from defensiveness is what characterizes the meek. 
Not simply when they are shown their weaknesses, but even when their sin is pointed out to them. So how, how, how can such people so easily receive criticism and refrain from defensiveness? Well, the answer is they know who they really are. It's not news to them that they are bankrupt sinners so they can now deal with other people who point out that same fact to their face. They know their own sins and they are not destroyed by the knowledge that other people know what God knows about them. After all, when you see yourself as bankrupt before God, that whatever accusations may come your way will at least seem partly reasonable to you. As Thomas Watson writes, a meek spirit like wet tender will not easily take fire. And what makes us wet tender is the knowledge that we are as bad as everyone thinks we are. And even if an attack does not hit the mark precisely or accurately, we know what we are capable of nonetheless. And so we refrain from justifying ourselves or defending ourselves. Here's the point. Meekness frees us to say there is nothing to defend. Not because we feel justified in what we are doing but because our mournful poverty of spirit has brought us to the place where we actually believe we have nothing within us to defend. Martin Lloyd-Jones, again, he hits the nail on the head when he says, to be truly meek means that we no longer protect ourselves because we see there is nothing worth defending. Meekness assumes that I have the power to defend myself. But it chooses to bridle my impulses to do so. That's meekness. And because I do not need to defend myself, I will now, I will not behave maliciously or vengefully towards people that criticize me or attack me. Instead, I will practice patience with others as fellow sinners on the journey, for there is no pretense in the meek. And we can afford to be honest and forthright about our sins and weaknesses in our relationships with other people because we can rest in our Heavenly Father who will come to our aid if and when needed, just as Jesus did when He was attacked. It is amazing what Peter writes, because Peter was there, after all, at the cross. It's amazing, Peter's words about Jesus. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. He says, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In other words, to God, his heavenly Father. But folks, here's, here's, here's another point. We, we have another good reason to give up defending ourselves. And that is because someone else has become our defender. Listen, we are safe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Man, that's the best news in all the world. 
And so just think about this. Even though God knows that I'm a bankrupt sinner, listen, He has accepted me and He has loved me in Christ. And because of this, I am now liberated from the need to defend myself. Indeed, Jesus died to defend you forever. That's what He's doing at the right hand of the Father even now when Satan accuses you. The Gospel reveals to us And this is why the gospel is more than just something that is applicable for salvation. It is applicable for the rest of our lives as Christ followers because the gospel reveals that we are not morally superior to anyone else and that we need not fear other people any longer. As long as you think people are a threat to you, you cannot look out for their interests before your own. But meekness, meekness removes that threat because you know that no one can ever tell you anything that your Heavenly Father does not already know about you. So on the one hand, meekness will keep you from defending yourself. But on the other hand, number three, meekness is the strength to stand up with boldness to the wrongdoing of other people. Meek people, in other words, are tough as well as tender. They have tender consciousness to their own sinfulness, and they are quick to admit their own mistakes, their own faults, and their own weaknesses. But they are also tough enough to stand up to the wrongdoing of other people. As Don Carson says, a meek person is not necessarily indecisive or timid. He is not so unsure of himself that he could be pushed over by a hard slap from a wet noodle. Pretty much sums it up. And so the meek may be gentle, but they also champion the needs of others, especially the weak and the oppressed. It's not that meek people do do not assert themselves. It's that they don't assert themselves for themselves, but rather for other people. They don't bring out the big guns to defend their own rights and reputations, but they will aggressively defend the rights and reputations of others, just as Jesus did. And so the meek... Let me tell you, the meek have boldness combined with gentleness. They have the willingness to take on any opposition for the sake of God and others, while at the same time being equally willing to put up with an insult or indignity that is aimed at themselves. If we are meek, listen, we don't care what others think about us. We don't even care what we think about us. We only care what God thinks about us. And Jesus says, this kind of person, that person right there, that is the one who is blessed. They have the smile of God on their lives. Which brings us to our second question now. What is the blessing for meekness? Now, while the blessing is no secret in this third beatitude, Let's be honest, it is nevertheless shocking to hear Jesus say it. The meek shall inherit the earth. That's the blessing. That's the reward or the result, if you will. Now, why is this blessing so shocking to hear? 
Well, because it's not the normal pattern in our world history, is it? Listen, it goes against everything we see in world history. Just think with me about all the men in the history of the world who have tried to conquer the world. Alexander the Great. Cyrus the Great. Attila the Hun. Napoleon Bonaparte. Adolf Hitler, to name just a few. But do you know who the greatest conqueror in the history of the world was? Genghis Khan. 1162 to 1227. He brought almost 5 million square miles under his control in Northeast Asia through what is called the Mongol invasions, which often included the mass slaughter of civilians and the destruction of cities and fortresses. Genghis Khan is the historical example of the human understanding of who will inherit the earth. But Jesus comes on the scene now, and on the side of that hill, he turns this understanding upside down when he says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Now, don't just zoom past that statement, because it's a phenomenal statement. Notice again what Jesus says. He says, the meek will inherit the earth, not invade the earth. Which means we don't have to conquer the earth through domination and invasions. Listen, it is a gift from God to the meek. It is an inheritance from God to the meek. What's interesting is Jesus is echoing the promise that was made many centuries earlier in Psalms chapter 37, verse 11. When David writes, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Now, let me tell you, the Jews put a lot of hope in that promise. They understood their inheritance to extend beyond the borders of Canaan, the promised land, to the whole earth. And they understood abundant peace at a time when God would finally put Israel's oppressors in their place and restore order to the whole universe. And folks, let me tell you, as Christ followers, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we, we now look forward to that day when this promise, both in Psalms 37 and now in the Beatitudes, will be fulfilled and we will inherit the earth. Listen, one day God will make a new heaven and a new earth at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And all who have entered the kingdom of heaven through faith in Jesus Christ will reign with Christ in his earthly kingdom because we will reign with him, get this, as the Apostle Paul tells us, as co-heirs with Jesus Christ. There is so much about the future that we do not know. But this, this one thing, oh, we do know. God will keep his promises. The meek will inherit the earth. 
It will not be possessed by powerful politicians. It will not be possessed by ruthless tyrants or the manipulative schemers. It will be possessed by the meek, Jesus says. And I love how the Apostle John in the last book of the Bible describes the fulfillment of this very glorious promise in Revelation 21, 1-3 when he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And then he writes, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. That's, that's a, you know what that is right there? That's a statement of the kingdom. Remember what we said, definition of kingdom implies rule, the rule of God. And that is what you're seeing in this very verse here, the rule of God. And he will dwell with us, we will dwell with him in the new heaven, in the new earth. And it will be the most glorious thing that we can ever try to comprehend on this side of heaven. But when you read Psalm 37, and especially the first 15 verses of this psalm here, let me tell you, it appears, it seems like, it, it almost is like, I can taste it, I can touch it, that the wicked are winning and the meek are losing. So what do we do? Because right now, let's be honest, when you read the news, when you watch the news, even across our country in such a chaotic election year. You look across the Middle East, you look across just the horizon of our world. It appears the wicked are winning and the meek are losing. And so what we see goes contrary to what God says here in the Beatitudes. So what do we do? Well, here's what we don't do, folks. We don't fret and fear over what we see happening today. If you know you're going to win in the end, then why fret over the halftime score? I'll give you an example. This is the best analogy I can give, and I'll give it a sports one because I'm a sports fanatic, basketball in particular. And I, you know, right now the NBA playoffs are on. I'm telling my boys, man, this is nothing to compare to the NBA in the 80s and 90s. That's when it was the glory years. And of course, in the 80s, it was all about Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and the rivalry of the Lakers and Celtics. And in the 90s, it was all about the domination of who? Michael Jordan. And I was a huge Bulls fan in the 90s. Six championships, the Bulls won in the 90s. And I would watch every NBA championship playoff series that Michael Jordan Bulls were in. You know what? After Michael Jordan won three of them, the next three, because he took that little hiatus baseball thing and came back, and then the next three, let me tell you, during those NBA finals and even the playoff runs again, when the Bulls were down at halftime, do you think I worried about it? No way. I was like, they got Michael Jordan on their team. They're going to win. It doesn't matter what the halftime score is. They're going to win. No. 
Jordan proved it true. Let me tell you, you know what's more true than that? God's word here. God's promises. We know who wins in the end. So why worry about the halftime score? Why even worry about the third quarter score or even two minutes till the end of the game when you're still losing? It doesn't matter. You know you're going to win. It's, no, it's like the Royals these last two years, right? It didn't matter what the score was in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth inning. We knew, hey, they're going to come back and win in some time at the end of the game. You just know it. And so when you know it, you don't fret over it. You don't work yourself up over it. You're not fearful about it. And in the same manner, if you know you're going to inherit the earth, then why fret? You're free. You are so liberated to now rest in the Lord till He returns. This is the, the unexpected or the unannounced blessing of the meek. Future inheritance brings present freedom. And that is a beautiful, beautiful truth to take note of. Notice this in your notes. Freedom now to rest in the Lord instead of fret over the wicked. Look what David writes here in Psalm 37. We don't have time to read it all, but look at verses 7 through 11. David says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look diligently for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Sure, the wicked may boast now. They may throw their weight around now today. But Jesus says the meek are the ones who will inherit the earth when it's all said and done. And so rest in the Lord and wait patiently on him. For in the end, Jesus says, the meek will inherit the earth. In 1979, Tom Wolfe wrote a book called The Right Stuff. It's about the development of America's space program from the late 40s to the first flights of the Mercury program in the 50s. When the author Tom Wolfe was doing his research for the book, he discovered that there was something that set the best test pilots apart from all other men. Some quality that combined courage and coolness under pressure and total self-control. These men had it, and all the others didn't. But there was no name for it back then. And so Tom Wolfe just made one up. He simply called it the right stuff. In a lot of ways, that's what Jesus is talking about here in this third beatitude. He's saying, these people, these, these are the ones that have the right stuff. They're meek. And so I throw it out. What about us? Do you? Do I? Do we have the right stuff? Because meekness is the right stuff that sets us apart in this world and is blessed by God. So I ask you again, do you have the right stuff? Do you have meekness? 
And you can't muster it up on your own. It is a supernatural product of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you must be born again. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you trusted Him for your salvation? And now are you living under His rule? And the Holy Spirit, when you submit your life to the Holy Spirit and His power, it will produce in you meekness. Not perfectly, but progressively over time. And Jesus says to the ones that are already entered into the kingdom of heaven, they are meek. And He now says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Do you have the right stuff? Because folks, listen to me, without it, you will not inherit the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you again. And we are in awe over what your son Jesus reveals to us here along with the rest of your word. And Lord, in all honesty, we throw our hands up and we admit that we cannot live this beatitude out on our own. But really, that's true for all of them. And so, Lord, again, we come and we acknowledge our poverty of spirit before you. And we mourn over our sinfulness. And, Lord, we ask that as a result of that, that you would impart to us the meekness that only the spirit can give. And so, Lord, we ask that even now you would do a work in our hearts and you would reveal to us our deficiencies. You would reveal to us where we need your grace and your mercy to work. Lord, help us in meekness to refrain from being so defensive when we are attacked and criticized. And yet at the same time, Lord, we need your grace and your power to stand up with boldness to the wrongdoing in this world. And Lord, that is a balance that is not easily lived. And so again, we ask for your help. May we be a church that is meek. May we be Christ followers who are meek because of your working in our lives. And then, Lord, we look forward. Oh, do we look forward to that day when the meek will inherit the earth. And the new heaven and the new earth will come when Jesus comes again and we reign forever with him. Lord, until then, help us to trust in you and not to fret. Help us to rest in your promises and not to fret over what we see with our eyes. Help us to have kingdom lives with kingdom perspectives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As the praise team sings, let me encourage you to go to the Lord, to bring your worries, your frets, and your fears before Him, to confess your sin, to admit your lack of meekness, and to ask God to grant you the gift of meekness. Go to the Lord in prayer.